Is it true, as even some Christians are now claiming, that Islam is a legitimate road to God? In other words, should Islam be considered equally valid with Christianity? And what about the Quran? Is it the true Word of God as Muslims claim? And one other question, is it possible to reach Muslims with the Gospel? And if so, how? Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Last week, I introduced you to a great presentation about Islam that was made by my colleague Nathan Jones at one of our recent conferences. I showed you video clips containing what he had to say about the growth of Islam, the goals of Islam, and the fate of Islam. If you missed that program, you can find it posted on our website at lambline.com, where all our television programs can be viewed on demand free of charge. This week, I have Nathan here in the studio with me, and I'm going to ask him a series of questions that he discusses in his presentation, but which we did not cover last week. Incidentally, his entire 55-minute presentation is contained in this video album titled, The Fate of Islam. We'll tell you later how you can get a copy of it. Nathan, let's get right into this immediately, and uh, let me just start off by asking you a very crucial question. Okay. Is Islam a legitimate road to God? Absolutely not. And this is the reason why. Let me read you just a few verses about what the Bible says okay. is the legitimate road to God. All right. Let's start with John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. He said again in Romans, or Paul did in Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. We can go on, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. But Nathan, there's a problem with that. <clears throat> from the viewpoint of the society that we live in today, you sound so intolerant. It does intolerant. The Bible has a description of what the one and only way to get to God is, and that through the Father, through Jesus Christ the Son, believing Him as the Son of God and the Savior of our sins. The Bible goes on, 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the Son, of, uh, the man, Christ Jesus. 1 John 5.5, 5, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only who, he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I could go on and on with verse after verse after verse, but the Bible teaches that the one and only way to get to the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. And Muslims, Islam, does not teach that Jesus is the Son of God or the Christ. What do they teach about Jesus? They don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but He is an esteemed man. In other words, uh, to believe in a trinity like we do, a Father, mm. Son, and Holy Spirit, to them is what they call shirk. It's idolatry. Islam believes in a monotheism. There is one God who is Allah, and His prophet is Muhammad. So, to get to heaven or paradise, as Muslims call it, you have to work your way through it. There is actually quite a series of works that you have to go through to reach paradise. But when Muslims speak to Christians, 
they always start out by talking about how they believe in Jesus and trying to build some rapport with their Christian audience. Yes, we believe in uh, Jesus, we honor Jesus and so forth, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Not at all, not at all. It is a preconceived Jesus without the power and divinity. Matter of fact, when Jesus died on the cross, Muslims will teach that Judas Iscariot took Jesus' place and died on the cross. So they deny the, the crucifixion of Christ and they deny the resurrection of Christ. So their view of the Savior of salvation, as the Bible says, the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ, they flat out deny. And then they offer up a works-based salvation to get to paradise. So they're two completely, totally different things, teaching two completely different truths. The last time I was in Israel, I noticed when we got to Nazareth and we started up the hill there mm-hmm. to the magnificent uh, Church of the Annunciation, uh, where supposedly uh, Gabriel spoke to Mary, traditional site, that as you started up that hill there was a billboard that had been put up by the Muslims. I've seen that, yeah. So that every Christian pilgrim would see it, and it said, anyone who says, you know, that that Jesus is the Son of God is, is a liar and going to hell and so forth and so on, they just blatantly deny it's that right outside the church. Yeah, right outside right the church. Outside the church. <laughs> well, Muslims believe in quite a, a, a number of works to get to, to, to paradise. And this is what they teach. First, you have to say what's the, the creed or the shahada, which is there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. That's kind of like when we go up and we do the prayer to accept salvation. Muslims have their own prayer. But when you look at the shahada, there is no God but Allah. It doesn't say Jehovah or mm-hmm. Yahweh from the Bible. Allah, who was the moon god of the Arabs at the time period, and Muhammad is his prophet. So they deny even Jesus's preeminency in the Trinity. After that, you have to do prayers five times a day. You have to pray as a Muslim. You have to get on your knees and pray towards Mecca. Again, a works-based salvation. You also have to give alms giving, what's called zakat. It's one twentieth of your income and it goes to help widows and orphans. But giving money is required for salvation. There's fasting called psalm, which of course we know Ramadan, the ninth month of the Islamic calendar, where they don't eat or they abstain also from smoking and sex and all, all day long. It's a fasting that is a work to prove yourself worthy to Allah. They also have the pilgrimage, which is called the Hajj. It's where you have to travel at least once in your life to Mecca and go around the Kaaba stone. And if you can't do it, then you send somebody in your place. And then there's an unspoken work, and that's jihad, or the struggle, or to strive against the infidel. So, for Muslims, it's an extremely works-based salvation. They have to do all those things. But my understanding of Islam is that even if you do all of those things, you still have no assurance of salvation. Absolutely. There's no eternal security. And, and, And no concept that you, I mean, even Mohammed said he didn't know whether he was saved or not. Right, right. And the only way you can be certain that you're saved in Islam, I mean absolutely certain, is what? Jihad, you have to die fighting the infidel. Otherwise, you just don't know. Yes. Well, uh, what about the God of Islam? Uh, You know, we have have very liberal Christians in America today who argue that the God of Islam has to be the same God of Judaism and Christianity because we are monotheistic religions, all of us. So, if we all believe in one God, we all, must all believe in the same God. You know, I think in my experience, I find that people who say that the God of the Bible and the God of Islam and, and the gods of, of Hinduism and all that really tend to not be religious at all. They're irreligious. They assume that they all offer some kind of truth, and therefore all religions are going towards heaven. 
even though all these different religions teach something totally different. For instance, uh, when it comes to Allah, Allah is a monotheism. He is a one God. There is no Holy Spirit. There is no mm -hmm. Son. And like I said earlier, if you even suggest that, that's idolatry to a Muslim. He's also very distant and, and unknowable. Yeah, he's aloof. He doesn't connect with his people whatsoever. He's never mentioned in the Quran, for example, as a God of love. No, there is no love to him. He expects obedience because for it, between a Muslim and which means one who submits in Allah, it's a master-slave relationship. There is no father-son relationship in like Christianity whatsoever. He reveals his will, but he never reveals his self. He's feared by his followers, and he's also the creator of evil. He didn't just, he's not all good, but he's both good and evil. Now, I don't know about you, but that does not sound like the God of the Bible whatsoever. <laughs> no, not at all. And you know, I when I look at liberal Christians in, in the old mainline Protestant denominations uh, I'm talking about primarily, those super liberal Christians, I uh, find that their attitude toward Muslims is the same as their attitude toward Jews. Leave them alone. Do not violate their culture by sharing the Gospel with them because they have their own road to God. And to me what that means is we're going to love them right into hell. Right. Right. And they have that same view toward the Jewish people. It's called dual covenant theology. They argue that we have our covenant, they have their covenant, they can work their way to heaven through following the law of Moses. Well, when the greatest ethic in this day and age is tolerance, then of course that's how we end up with that. back to my discussion with my colleague Nathan Jones about the nature of Islam. Nathan, how about uh, comparing for us the fundamental beliefs of Islam as compared with Christianity? Well, certainly. Uh, one of the blessings of being Web Minister here is I get to speak to Muslims all over the world right. who either want to ask questions or debate about Islam. Yeah. And when you start quoting from the Bible, the very first thing that they do is like, well, well wait, a minute, wait a minute, the Bible's corrupted. Yeah. Now, the Bible to them was corrupted by the Christians and the Jews, so what we believe today isn't what was originally written. And that totally goes against archaeology. For instance, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which show for 2,000 years we've had you know, the same translated Bible. The fact that 86,000 references from the early church fathers to New Testament verses, the, what is it, uh, uh, 5,300 New Testament manuscripts that exist out there from the first and second centuries. We have a plethora of information that proves that the Bible is the Word of God and it hasn't been corrupted. And if you know anything about how the scribes did that, I mean they were so careful. If there was one mistake the page was thrown away. They counted the number of lines oh, yeah. down, they counted the number of characters over. It was very, very carefully done. It was. Now of course another big difference between Islam and Christianity is their belief that uh, Allah is one. He, he's not a trinity as Christians believe. They, fact, also, they think we are. They think we do not believe in monotheism. Oh yeah, they think yeah. we're polytheists, yeah, yeah. like the the uh, Romans used to think yeah. of Christians. Uh, another thing too is their creation story is different. They believe that humanity was created out of a blood clot, and not out of from the image of God out of the dust. Uh, another thing they teach too is we are, are in the Bible is very clear that we are born in sin. We have a sin nature. Yes. But they don't teach that. They teach that man's inherently good and then strays along the way. So it's a totally different view of the sin nature. They believe in salvation through works, where we believe in salvation through uh, by faith through grace. Uh, excuse me, by grace through faith. Again, their view of Jesus that he was just a man who who died. I mean, that he plays a role in end time eschatology, but he isn't the Son of God. They definitely believe that. 
they also have different views about resurrections and judgments. You've written yeah. repeatedly about that, that their views of end times are vastly different than yeah. our views. Yes. Well, I think that's a good survey you just gave, and, and I think you could really sum it up the way um, uh, our good friend at First Baptist Church in Dallas, uh, Robert, Jeffers, Robert yeah. Jeffers, does it. And he says, every other religion in the world is spelled do, D-O. <laughs> Only Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. It's all done. done. It was done by Jesus on the cross. All we've got to do is reach out in faith and receive that. But every other religion, you got to work your way to Heaven. And you never know whether you got it or not. Absolutely. Well, what about the Quran and the Bible? Are, are they kind of similar? <laughs> They're night and day. Now, uh, when the, the origin of the Quran is that Muhammad at 40 years old, being afflicted by jinns or spirits, went to a cave and he was going to kill himself. He was going to commit suicide. And that's where he claims the angel Gabriel came onto him and gave him these words. Now, he was illiterate. He couldn't write or anything. So, he would go in this, these caves and he would go into these trances and he'd start automatic writing on scraps of paper or he'd bring men, imams, with him and they would write down what he said. And over the years it was collected into what is called the Quran, which means the recitation. It took 23 years to write. And it was all the different things that he said. Now you and I have read the Quran and it reads like the rantings of a madman. Nothing compared to the Bible where you have stories. The Bible is based on history and historical stories that you can follow. You get the Quran and it's this and that and this. And it just it is very difficult to follow. It's like the rantings of a madman. Yes. Yeah, because that's what it was. It was the rantings of a madman. Uh, it's about as long as the New Testament, so it's not as thick as the Bible at no. all. It's, it's only about the long New Testament. It took many years to compile by the 7th century is about when it was finally compiled. Now, Muslims will claim that it, it's, it's, it's inerrant, that it's perfect, even though it went through... That's very interesting because yeah. there is a big difference in the Quran and the Bible in the sense of the word abrogation. In other words, Muslim scholars say that a later revelation abrogates an earlier revelation if they conflict with each other. And it's very difficult to know which are the early ones and which are the later ones when you read the Quran because they're all mixed up. But the scholars say they know. And so when, for example, Muslims come and speak to Christians, they read all the verses that were early that talked about honor the Christians, honor the Jews, we're people of the book and so forth. But when they rejected the, uh, the teachings of Muhammad, then he turned against them and began to say, kill them. And that abrogates the earlier, but they don't tell you that. No, they don't. No, they, oh, look, it's peaceful. Well, wait a minute. No, they're following the later verses which say, kill all the Jews. Yeah. yeah, so. yeah. yeah. So, so, when they want to get along with you, they quote the, the Scriptures that say, we are brothers. But then later on when they get into power, what happens? Suddenly it's all the ones about you must submit. There can be no freedom of any other religion, and we'll kill you if you don't. Oh, right. And, and Muhammad was a, a crook. He stole the Torah. He stole the New Testament. He even went to Persian Zoroastrianism and took, and then he blended it all in. He stole wives. He stole why he had 15 of them, including a nine year old girl. Yeah. And one of them, I think, was the uh, wife of, of his son in law or something of that nature. Zinab. Name. Matter of yeah. fact, tired of her family getting killed, she actually poisoned Muhammad, and on top of pneumonia, that's what killed him. Yeah. I have always found that in talking with the Muslims, one of the main things that draws them to 
the truth is to talk about the love of God and the love of Jesus Absolutely. Christ. Absolutely. I remember when Mark Gabriel, I interviewed him and he said, you know, we have a story in the Quran, or in the, maybe it's in the Hadith, that's exactly like the one in the New Testament where they bring the woman caught in adultery and Jesus says, let him who is without sin throw the first stone and tells her to go and sin no more. He said, no. Muhammad said, bring her back when her baby has been weaned. And she brought him back, put her down in the ground with her head sticking out and said, now stone her to death in front of her child. And he said, we just didn't know anything about the love of God. Right. And when they, they experienced that, they moved to Christianity. That's because they have to read the Quran in Arabic. Yes, yes, that's true. Well, that's our time on this segment. We'll be back in just a moment with another segment. Welcome back to my discussion about Islam with my colleague Nathan Jones. Nathan, is it possible to reach Muslims with the Gospel, and if so, how? Oh, absolutely, Dr. Reagan. That's actually how I end my presentation, oh. The Fate of Islam. Folks, this is how you reach a Muslim for Christ. Before we go on, I have to admit one thing, and I'm going to admit it right here. Because I'm teaching you the truth about Islam and its role in the end times, society is going to label me a hater. To them, a card, I'm a card-carrying Islamophobe, which is a terrible thing to be called in the PC world nowadays. But bear with me here, for in part they're correct, I do indeed hate Islam. And do you know why I hate Islam? Not the people, naturally, but the system. I hate what Islam does to their people. It enslaves over a billion people to a religion that tells them they must kill themselves in order to be assured of going to heaven. I hate that Satan rules Islam. And so far he's gotten away with all the murders and atrocities Islam has committed in vilifying the name of God. I hate Islam because of all the Christians that have been murdered in the name of Allah. How God's magnificent and holy name has been tarnished. This is what Islam does to a nation. It subjugates its people and it plunges the world back into the dark ages. Islam has sent people to hell by the billion. So yes, I hate Islam because I hate Satan. But as you know, we Christians, we're called to hate evil and to love good. So it's okay to be a hater of Islam because it kills people and for all of eternity. Now, as terrible as Islam is, it also presents the church with the greatest opportunity for evangelism in world history, if you know how to evangelize the Muslim. One of the blessings at our ministry is that we get to talk to people all over the world. I have people write to me through various venues, such as email and social networks. I've encountered so many Muslims seeking to understand God or trying to convert me to Islam, which just opens the door for sharing the gospel with them. From these experiences, I'm going to share with you six different ways you can reach a Muslim for Christ. Number one, the Bible is okay to read. Surah 5, 46-47 and 68 says that Muhammad gave the okay thumbs up for Muslims to read the Bible. If you give anyone the Word of God and they read it, the Holy Spirit speaks through scriptures. As an example of this, I'll share the real-life testimony of an ex-Muslim girl from Iran who calls herself Fars. I left Islam for several reasons, originally because I was sent by my grandmother to a mullah to learn Islamic prayer. I was taught this in Arabic, which as a Persian, I didn't understand one word of it. When I asked this mullah what the heck it meant and what I was saying, he said it wasn't important that I know, just that I say it with all my heart. Say what with all my heart? He then complained to my grandmother that I was too questioning for a girl and should be talked to, whatever. I finally bought an English translation of the Quran. I was appalled. No wonder the mullah didn't want me to know what all it meant. When I read some of the passages in English to my mother, she was shocked with disbelief. 
That can't be right. She couldn't believe it, and she had been a Muslim all her life, and she never knew exactly what the Quran said. She and my sister have both also left Islam. That is the tragic legacy, especially in Iran, which had Islam forced on it by Arabs. That is why educated college students are all up in arms because they are finally beginning to understand what Islam really means and says. Now, once Fars could read the Bible in her own language, she gave her life to Christ. So it's okay for a Muslim to read the Bible and you can tell them that. Number two, the life of Christ. When you hold up the life of Muhammad, a, a killer, a murderer, a wife stealer, a child molester, a liar, and put it up against Jesus Christ who's sinless and loving and holy and died for us, the Muslim is shocked. They can't believe the difference. The, that Jesus taught in the Quran isn't the same Jesus at all. Of course, anyone who's attracted to someone who lays their life down for them. Tell them what Jesus did for them by dying for their sins. The following was a real testimony of a man from Morocco named Ibn Zakaria who learned this truth. I left Islam because I didn't find peace with it. Since my childhood, I had a lot of questions in my mind about human rights in Islam, women's rights, eternal life, and about the life of Muhammad. I started looking for answers by reading the Bible and comparing the life of Muhammad to that of the Lord Jesus Christ. I found myself far from Islam and enlightened by the gospel and the truth of the word of God. Third, the love of God. God is love, but for Muslims, they never know love from Allah whatsoever. They see these mullahs on TV who are angry and yelling all the time. It's a religion of hate. A Muslim, like any person, wants to know love, and you can reach them by telling them about the love of God. Abdul Masih of Egypt shared how he became saved when he encountered the love of God. I was born in Egypt to a Muslim family. I think in looking back that maybe my family was loving because it was liberal in its approach to Islam. It was very loving not because of Islam but in spite of it. When I began to study, I saw that the Quran was very filled with hate and not enough on love. Christianity seems so much more familiar and the Sermon on the Mount is a teaching after my own heart. There's nothing like it in the Islamic literature. Fourth the assurance of salvation. Monif in Morocco wrote in his testimony about the lack of eternal security in Islam. My father was and still is an imam in a mosque. I had many questions about my place in paradise, but there was no answer. Muslims have no assurance of salvation except for one thing, and that is to die a martyr. To kill infidels by your own death is the only assurance they have of salvation. Why do you think certain Muslims are willing to blow themselves up in the name of Allah? Martyrdom is the only way they can be assured of entering into paradise. You instead can assure them that through Jesus Christ who died once and for all for their sins, they can have the assurance of living in heaven forever with their loving Father. Number five, grace. Islam is like wearing shackles to a Muslim. They, they feel it, they know it, but when you teach them about the grace of God, that there's nothing we can do to be saved, that God did it all for us, and that Jesus Christ paid for our sins on the cross, then they feel relieved. Well, maybe you can look back at a time when you got saved and you remember how it felt to have that weight off your, of your sins and works lifted off of you. Well, a Muslim is looking for that weight to be lifted off them as well. Sinbad of India shared his experience casting his weight off him. I had of course gone through the whole process of learning about Islam and the do's and don'ts. 
and had always tried to practice it, but always was struggling as if I was forever carrying a great load on my back, as if I was in prison. After I left, I felt as if I had just been released from prison. And six, a relationship with God. Learning one can have a personal relationship with God is one of the best ways to reach a Muslim for Christ. Christians enjoy a relationship with God and not some distant, unknowable being who could care less about them and wants their deaths to prove their faith, but a heavenly Father who loves them and cares for them, the very Jesus that you and I accepted. Cynthia from America shared about coming back to such a relationship. My fear of Allah became so intense that I hoped to get cancer and therefore be punished for my sins on earth instead of after death. I would scrub and cleanse my body in prayer so obsessively that my hands became cracked and bloody. Still, I continue to believe in a religion that on the outside looks so moral and just. Then I did something that I told my parents and myself I would never do. I rented the movie, The Passion of the Christ. I held back tears that threatened to fall from my eyes until the short scene in the movie when Mary Magdalene reverts back to the day when Jesus was the only person who would accept her and love her. I began to cry as I suddenly realized what my mother had been trying to tell me for all those years. Finally, I understood that God loved me and was not out to get me or to harm me. It was at that moment that I knew that Allah was not God. I felt the love and protection of God all around me. I was no longer scared to live and no longer scared to die. The world looked so beautiful and I couldn't stop thanking God for saving me. It's only been two weeks since I was saved by Jesus Christ and they have been the happiest two weeks of my life. Every day that I wake up, I am so grateful that God never left my side during my seven-year hiatus. I feel like He was just patiently waiting for my return. I now live my life with an inner peace and love for God that I cannot put into words. Thank you, Jesus, for never leaving me. There's a lot of fear that Islam will soon take over the world, but believers in Christ can find comfort knowing that what Islam means for evil God is using now to produce good. And one day Islam will be destroyed. Muslims will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ by the multitudes and all the world will finally know Jesus during his kingdom. Until then, continue to be a witness sharing the good news of our mighty God and Savior and his great salvation. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you Nathan for that great presentation. Folks, Nathan's presentation about Islam needs to be shared throughout all of Christendom. Please consider getting a copy to share with your Sunday school class, your home Bible study group, or your entire church. Get a copy for your pastor and pray that it will help him to better understand both the physical and spiritual dangers of Islam. Well, that's our program for this week. I hope it's been a blessing to you and the Lord willing. I hope you'll be back with us again next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Does Bible prophecy have anything to say about the fate of Islam? Does the Bible offer us any hope? These poignant questions and many more are answered by our associate evangelist and web minister Nathan Jones and his gripping teaching concerning the role Islam plays in the end times. To understand Islam's goals and ambitions, Nathan takes the viewer into the mind of the Muslim. He reveals they are not crazy, as many Westerners think. Rather, he points out the reasons behind their actions and explains the Quranic teachings that fuel the terrorist attacks and rising death toll. You'll be taken back in time to the 7th century to discover the foundations of Islam, 
why it has spread so rapidly over the centuries, and what apocalyptic scenarios Muslims believe will prophetically occur in the near future. As a bonus, the hour-long video concludes with an explanation of six different ways you can reach a Muslim for Jesus Christ. To place your order for this $20 DVD, shipping included, please call our office at the number you see on the screen Monday through Friday between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time or order online at lamblion.com. Please consider sharing this vitally relevant teaching with your pastor and Bible study. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 